You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, a Broadway-centric podcast where we take a 360-degree look at the theater with actors, directors, writers, and everyone in between. I'm Jamie Dumont, recovering Broadway marketer, executive chef, and event planner. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left at NYC. I feel like I need to take that again. I feel yeah. like I didn't quite get <laughs> my credits. Little, yeah. little, like, I out. do that a lot where I'm like, I, I have to like remember who, <laughs> who I am. I? Yeah, I was, am I? A, I was a Broadway marketer. What, what does that mean? I worked for a Broadway marketing company. I was an executive chef and I had a catering company. Yeah. That's me. That's who you are. All right. Should we do it again? Just, yeah, let's, just, do, let's just, do a clean one. You know, okay. you know I love a clean one. Well, we might one. like this. And you, know how, you know how I love behind the curtain. You do. Your least yeah, favorite you thing. You live behind the curtain. Well, you, what do you always say? Don't hang a lantern on it, Jamie. Yeah, don't hang a lantern on your problems. You know? yeah. I am a lantern. <laughs> That's a different podcast. But today is Rob. Today is like I think one of your favorite days. It's certainly, but it's more so one of your favorite days. Yes, yes. We talked about this last year. I love a list. You love a list. I love a list. You live for a list. That I do. Yeah, yeah. So on this episode, uh, we're taking a departure from our normal routine uh, where we have an interview with a personality who's in the theater. And uh, for this episode, we're going to talk through my list of my top 10 favorite shows of 2019. Yay! Sort of an end of the year or almost end of the year uh, countdown. Are there any rules we should know about? Rules. Rules of the road. Um, no. I mean, I um, I did as I always do I because I, I write a piece for my site. Um, and I counted up the number of shows I saw this year. So in 2019, including a couple that I know I'm going to see after we take this, um, I will have seen by the end of the year 234 performances. And that includes theater, dance, music, opera, cabaret. Um, a couple repeats, obviously, because, you know, we saw Mean Girls like four times in 2019. And we're going on Sunday. <laughs> right, you know, because of Jennifer Simard. Still, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of shows. So what I try to do at the end of the year is to pick my 10 favorite um, and wait, I guess wait, that's wait. The Are big... you up or down from last year? Sorry to interrupt. I'm down. I'm down marginally. I saw like 246 or something last year. Okay. Yeah. I took I took it easy this year. You did. You really, really slacked. Yeah, I really slummed it. Lazy. Um, but my whole mantra, other than you do you, um, is uh, that I, I consider this a top 10 favorite, not oh, right. best, right? So that's one thing just to put out there. Because that, that might be a different list, but I, I don't know that I'm interested in that list because who am I to say what is the best, right? I mean, when, when thinking about art and performance in particular, I mean, who's anyone to say what the best is? But right? I think by virtue of the fact that you are a critic, doesn't that give you some right to say what you think is the best? Everyone's a critic, Jamie. But that's what you do weekly. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you give us your opinion. That's real. So I yeah. don't see why... Eventually, we won't do <laughs> a show. A best. A best. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. I said this last year, and I'm going to say it again, and yeah. I didn't hold you to it, although I, I did. No, broken promises. Violently. Well, we made two broken promises. A trail of broken promises. And the one thing I am going to hold you to <gasps> is the top 50 all-time greatest musicals, yeah. which I asked you to do I know. last year. Like, I th- well, like the day we met. No, that... <laughs> That I think was the overtures. Oh, I think I think that's the first fair. list I made you do was the overtures. And I did that. You did it right away. I followed. Rules. I was very impressed. Yeah. I was like, this. It was I, this twenty kid, overtures, I like this and guy. I did a good job. Yeah, no, no. no. But um, I and, and we don't. Have, we talked about it last year, so we don't have to talk about it again. But the other broken promise. Yeah. I emphatically said that I was going to go to LTC. LCT. Oh, sure. LCT three. Right. In fact, can't, can't right. even get the name right. right. Well, <laughs> maybe that was your problem. You know? Maybe if I had gone, <laughs> right. I'd get the name right. Yeah, that yeah, that's is, right. Well, yeah. well, we'll have to look at the calendar and get you to something before the end of the year. No, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think there's anything playing there right now. Yeah, I think. We, but we. Wow, devastating. That, okay, well, so. we we failed each other um, in 2019. So here's the 2020. Let's let's not fail each other in 2020. Um, so yeah, so we're going to tick through my top 10 and we'll, we'll go in reverse order cause that makes it more fun. Um, one thing to flag is that there were three major productions in 2019 that had off Broadway iterations in 2018. 
and were in my top 10 last year. So I decided as my own rule, since I make my own rules, um, that I was not going to consider them to be eligible for this list. So you might be wondering, well, how come he didn't mention X? It's because it was on last year's list. So the three productions in particular, they are Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish, Joel Joel Gray's stunning production, which we talked to him about uh, in our first episode, Um, Oklahoma, which was at St. Anne's Warehouse and is now on Broadway uh, and runs through January. Um, so get tickets if you haven't yes. seen it. Yes. Oh Seriously, don't Please. miss it this. It was my number one last year, and if I could make it my number one this year, I would. Yeah, but I, well, I think we I both won. would. Yeah. Um, and then uh, What the Constitution Means to Me, Heidi Schreck's incredible play. Which um, were, I mean, those that's your, those are your number ones on each list, right? Like yeah, if you, if you were mean, to break it out between play and, and... musical, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so those were three amazing productions that were off-Broadway in 2018, on-Broadway or in New York, you know, uh, moved um, to Midtown in 2019. Um didn't consider him for this list. Uh, so here, here we go. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's dive right in. And right away, right off the bat, I'm making an exception. Again, because I make the rules. It's my list. Um, 10 is a tie. So I guess it's technically 11. But I did that in 2017. Sunny in the Park with George and Sweeney Todd were a tie, a little Sondheim tie. Um, so this year, instead of being a Sondheim tie, it's a best wall tie. Which is a good tie. It's a good tie to have, yeah, as far as ties go. Um, playwright, best wall, uh, had two incredible plays off-Broadway, um, Make Believe at Second Stage and Continuity at Manhattan Theater Club. Um, very different plays and content, obviously. Um, but both, I think, and we saw them together. Yes, we did. We saw both these together. We saw both of them. Um, and I think you would agree with me that... Um, Bess Wall, as a playwright, has an incredible ability to um, sort of lure you into the play and you think you're watching one thing and then suddenly or over the course of the play reveals itself to be something entirely different. Um, And we were both, in different ways, stunned by those two plays. Um, Make-believe, yeah, in particular. uh, Make-believe, I... I Physically couldn't move yeah. for the last 20 minutes of that play. Once yeah. the thing is revealed, right. I was frozen. I, yeah. I was so ill-prepared. And I should have known, right? There were clues there. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, she's also very good at not giving too many clues. Well, right. And That's... it's like a sucker punch yes. in the best possible no, way. I don't, I don't mean that to sound negative. Yeah. Make-believe in particular, I, I, I can't remember the last time I was so just wrecked by something and just immobile. Yeah. And it was also just a fabulous production. Yeah, really The the design of it, the actors. I mean, it it was masterfully done. Yeah. Um, And then continuity, um, you know, becomes this like poignant parable about the climate crisis, um, you know, set on a, on, on a movie set in the desert. Right. You think you're watching this movie about these vapid Hollywood people. And it's sort of like this like farce, you know, it's It's like a romp. So funny, which make believe wasn't as funny. So they're so different. Right. She's such a great writer on so many, it's, it's almost as if these two plays were written by totally different people. Mm -hmm. And, and yet you can see the parallels in both of them. Right. That, that skill, that that ability to sort of turn on a dime and, and uh, keep the audience on their toes. Um, so unfortunately, because they're both, you know, at off-Broadway nonprofit theater companies, they've since closed. But this has suddenly become a Best Wall fan club episode um, of The Fabulous Invalid, right which, that. yeah, I think we're both okay with. Her next play, Grand Horizons, is going to be opening at second stage on Broadway at the Helen Hayes Theater in January. Um, so we will have an opportunity to see a new best wall play. Of the I new think year. We, we need to do that together. Absolutely. I think. I, yes, think, I think it's a, the thing we have. Grand Horizons um, is also directed by um, Lee Silverman, who oh. guest of the show, who we love. Oh, love and her has an a lot. Amazing cast: uh, Jane Alexander, James Cromwell, Priscilla Lopez, Ashley Park, Ashley another Park, guest Michael of the Yuri. show. Yeah, oh, I mean, we should get Michael Yuri on the show. We really should in the new year. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. Michael, ten. if you're listening, yeah, we're, right. you're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna start stalking you. So, top ten list: number ten, technically ten and eleven. Shh, don't tell anybody. Make believe continuity. Love it. Uh, moving to number nine um, is the inheritance. I love the inheritance. Yeah. So I have to say, you know, it's interesting. I went back and listened to our fall preview episode, and on that episode, I boldly predicted. I said at the time, I'm making a bold prediction, um, that the inheritance would be like the event of the season. And um, I have egg in my face because I think the play has not been 
as warmly received as I was anticipating it would. Certainly not as it was in London in 2018. It won all the awards, was the talk of the town, sold out. Um, it's been a, a, a bit of a chilly response on Broadway. I think that's not entirely accurate. I think it's like aggressive. Yeah, a little it's, hostile. It, it feels hostile. A little hostile, yeah. I, I feel like it is an event, but it's the wrong kind of event. Yeah, exactly. It's turned a, out to be the opposite kind of event. There's a lot yeah. of hatred towards this play or yeah. just outright dismissal of it. Yeah. And I I, I think there's a lot of different reasons for that, but it, I find it so fascinating how vilified this play yeah. is being... I, on social media in particular, I think yeah. if you look at the reviews of the play, they were mixed, yeah, right? And, and a lot of people said a lot of really nice things about the play. Yeah. But the social media world yeah. seems to really just want to shit all over it. Yeah. Well, it's important to remember that Twitter is not real life. No, you it's know? true. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the time, you said that you thought slave play would be more polarizing than The Inheritance, you know, Who knew? which it's turned out to be the opposite. Right, and right? slave plays turned out to be the feel-good hit of the season. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> Bring the family to slave yeah. play, you know? I mean, that's <laughs> like, here we are. Um, anyway, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I, I think the play has its own faults, um, and, you know, we could go into that, but this is, this is a show to sort of spotlight what we love about the season. And I, I, uh, I, I love this play. I love the experience of watching it. I love the device, the, the construct of it. You know, if you don't know, it's sort of a, a, a contemporary adaptation of E.M. Forster's novel, Howard's End, but set among a group of millennial-aged gay men in New York in the present, um, sort of grappling with the uh, legacy of the AIDS crisis of the 1980s and 1990s to, to the present, truly. Um, and you know, it's an epic play. It's six acts. It's two parts. Uh, it's a six hours and 45 minutes running time. It's a big piece. And I think when something is of that scale, it gets a lot of eyes on it to sort of live up to people's expectations of what a six-hour play should be. And, you know, the big marker for that is Angels in America. And, you know, Angels in America is a different play by a different playwright trying to do something very different than what The Inheritance, you know, is doing. You know, and thematically, they're even very different. Um, but also, the inheritance, everything is stripped away. I mean, literally, the the actors are barefoot, right? And there's no, there's almost, with the exception of a few things here and there, there's, there's like a chair and there, some wine glasses. There's very little set pieces. That's there's it. very little set, right? No, there's no. one. There's sort of one device that comes in and out. That's that's quite effective. But yeah. it's really everything is just stripped away, and you're sort of forced to just. Be with these people, totally. Which I loved, right? And I think I think you're you're tapping into something that's exactly right, and that is, um, you know, people have focused on Matthew Lopez, the playwright, on you know on what he has created. But I think what's gotten lost in some of the discourse around this show is the fact that Stephen Daldry, the director, and Bob Crowley, the designer, have collaborated to make um, a very unique and and special sort of theatrical evening or day, I guess, because it is uh, two parts. Um, the way Evenings. The, yeah, the way that the play is performed itself is an achievement that I think is worthy of, of you know, of real celebration. And um, just kind of shocked that that has sort of fallen by the wayside. Anyway, I really enjoyed the play when I saw it in London. I enjoyed seeing it on Broadway. Um, he's, you know, it's changed a little bit. Um, and certainly the context has changed. You know, you can't, help but see this play through the the prism of our culture our you know, you know the the news and through a racial lens uh, and that i think is what a lot of the criticism has been about the show in america because that lens is not as sharp uh over across the pond um anyway certainly uh one of my favorites of the year at number nine uh number eight on my list is Akhenaten, which uh, is a Philip Glass opera that was at the uh, Metropolitan Opera this fall, a new production of an old opera. So it was written in 1983. It's part of a trilogy that Philip Glass did, um, sort of doing portraits of great leaders, the others being Mahatma Gandhi and um, Albert Einstein. Um, so this is about the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten, who um, you know had a historic reign and I think he basically united Egypt. Um, but what was amazing about this production, I don't know if this is the way it's always been done, but, um, you know, Jamie, you saw it with me, so you can attest. Um, it played out like, some, like, like a religious ritual almost. And the entire piece, you know, because it's Philip Glass, so the music is very repetitive. Um, and I mean that, you know, not as a negative thing. It's just it's, it's a fact of how he composes. Um, 
And you almost were like induced into like a trance, like, you know, meditative state while watching this opera unfold. And it moved in with such precision and with such a reduced speed that, you know, we're, we're inundated by fast things, right? You know, in our society now, everything's fast, everything's now, everything's big, everything's flashy, everything's fast. To sit in the Metropolitan Opera and see something slow down time uh, was a really fascinating experience, unlike anything I've ever experienced before. It's always a joy to see anything at, at, at the Met Opera, but especially um, a new production of a, a modern opera. Um, and uh, they can do things there on a scale that you really don't experience kind of anywhere else. Um, so that was a real treat. And again, unlike anything I've ever seen before in my life. Yeah, thank um, you for that. I would not have, I would yeah. not have done that if you had not you know, and it, it closed, invited me. Uh, it closed December 7th. Um, and that's it for the year. It was just for the fall season, you know, because they perform in rep. But uh, and it was sold out. I have a feeling they'll do it again because I feel like it was a of it. really popular yeah. opera. I, yeah. I feel like that and Porgy and Bess are their two season highlights yeah. so far. Yeah, totally. Um, so moving down the list, number seven, or I guess I should say up the list. Down, up, sideways. Well, which way does the Nile go? Up. It goes, yes, it goes, it goes the opposite direction. Yeah. Anyway, um, to number seven is American Utopia. Um, Which I did not see, so I cannot comment. Okay. Oh, wow, Jamie. Just recusing yourself from the conversation. I think that's fair. From the get-go. Wow. Well, but I'm sure you have an opinion about David Byrne. I love David Byrne. Yes, we all love David Byrne. Music legend David Byrne. I mean, I don't know how else to, you know, categorize him. He's sort of like yeah, because he's not a rock and roller. No, he's everything. He's everything. He's a he's, he's a musician. He's a singer. He's a producer. He's a writer. I mean, he's everything. Um, he has brought his latest album to life, um, the eponymous, you know, American Utopia, um, on stage and alongside you know his catalog of of well known songs dating back to the Talking Heads. Um, in collaboration with um, visionary choreographer Annie B. Parson. Um, and it, again, you know, sort of like what we just talked about with Agnaton, it, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, and it sort of defies easy um, categorization, much like David Byrne, so I guess it's not surprising. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a concert, but it's not. It's, a, it's a kind of a musical, but not really. I mean, there is, there's a thread of a... Not so much a story, but a, an idea, a theme that that is you know weaved throughout the entire thing, um, and yet it's just this like joyful, exuberant um, uh, uh, bringing to life of music. Uh, number six is Moscow, 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 Moscow. Did I say that right? Six Moscow's. I think you missed a Moscow, but uh, who's oh no. counting? Oh no! Um, playwright Haley Pfeiffer's uh, irreverent new adaptation of Anton Chekhov's Three Sisters, uh, which was at MCC Theater over the summer. I saw it, um, you know, to review it, and then like the second it ended, was like, okay, I need to see this again right away. And fortunately, you were going, and I saw it again with yeah, you. I was like, going like the week after. Yeah, a week later, I went back and saw it, and I would have seen it again if my schedule had permitted me to. Um, I really thought that was going to transfer. I really oh thought that, I really God. felt like that had another life in it. Maybe it does. I just loved it. So she, you know, she took Three Sisters um, and basically like obliterated all subtext. Um, and, you know, unearthed this, this humor throughout it um, by using sort of a contemporary, like, millennial uh, parlance for the characters, right? So it's incredibly anachronistic throughout. Uh, it's sort of like internet speak, you know, is, is spoken throughout the entire play. Um, and it's absolutely hilarious. And yet... It's not some like takedown of, you know, three sisters. It's not this like harsh, you know, modernist take. It it in the end is so poignant. It's surprisingly respectful. Yes. 
I was I was laughing until I was crying, yeah. right? And then you're yeah. like, oh my god, how yeah. did this happen? You know, it was yeah. one of those plays where that suddenly you're struck by the fact that you're so moved, yeah. and yet you've been so entertained to that point. Yeah. You know, um, so I absolutely loved it. Um, MCC Theater, you know, we always we love MCC Theater. We're big fans here. Huge. I I, I say this all the time. It's one of the few theater companies I just go in. I can go in cold, and yeah. I I know I'm gonna love it. And one of the great stories of 2019 is the fact that they're in their new space, the Robert Wilson Theater Space on 52nd Street, which. You know, I always say it's the furthest west I ever go in Midtown. It's on like 15th Avenue. I mean, I don't even know. You can't really go much further no, without you're, being in Weehawken. in the water, yeah. Um, but once you're there, it's worth the trek because the facility is gorgeous. They've built a marvelous uh, uh, complex. They have a great black box, and then they have a really beautiful and almost odd proscenium theater like it's a really interesting well, there is space. no proscenium but it's it but can it, be it feels yeah. like a, i yeah. guess they're technically they're both black boxes really yeah. but they but they have a larger theater that has a mezzanine in it yeah. and it's just it's a very, it's very un, wide it's very wide and it's and it's but it it's, but you're not you're so close to the stage I and mean, it's really yeah it's a marvelous theater yeah. what, however you describe it go yeah. see something there because it's You'll really love terrific, it. really yeah. terrific. Great. Okay, uh, moving on. Number five on my list is Soft Power. Yay! Which, if you listen to the show, you know we did an entire episode on uh, Soft Power. Um, We've and- been talking about Soft Power pretty much from day one yeah, on this yeah, show. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know, somehow, if you don't know about this show, it's at the Public Theater uh, this this past fall. Um David Henry Huang and Janine Tesori uh, collaborated on writing this new musical within a play is the, I think the phrase that they ended up using to describe um, because it's a, it's an, it's an interesting structure, a very unique structure, something that I think has never been done before, at least not on this scale where uh, the show starts out as a play. And then the play that you've seen up to a certain point becomes the uh, sort of substance for a musical dream that, um, carries on for the rest of the show. Um, and, you know, the impulse for the show was was for it to be a, a reverse King and I, uh, where this time uh, someone from the East would teach someone from the West a lesson. Um, and uh, in the course of developing it, uh, because it, it the, the show itself deals with so many contemporary, um, you know, themes and, you know, basically the news, the, the, the horror we're living in post the 2016 election, um, it, it evolved a, a lot. You know, we saw it in 2018, on the West coast. Um, and now it premiered finally in New York. Um, and I just think it is such a unique and smart show. Um, and it's, it's exciting to see at this level, these artists, um, taking such a risk in developing something that's never been seen before. I agree with that. I also, I think it's Janine Tesori's best work. I think it's. I know. I know you know. I know. I know you like Caroline. Our change. Like is a weak word. Correct me. Um, and and I. I'm sorry. I'll use the word love. <laughs> Thank you. I and I love Caroline. Our yeah. change. But there's something about this score. I think it's because it's so pastiche, and I love pastiche. Mm-hmm. That's why I love Folly so much. Yeah. I yeah. think it because it touches on so many different sort of musical theater tropes. Is that the right way to put yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, themes. Sh- yeah. It, there's, there's definitely moments where you go, oh, that sounds like, and this sounds like, but they're not. They are completely their own thing. Right. And they are unique and original and marvelous. And I just, I love that score. And I'm very, very excited that it's getting a cast album. Yes. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to listen. I'm gonna yeah, it can't come out soon it's enough. It's going to inject it into my veins. When do we vote? On the Tuesday after the first Monday in the month of November. The month of November on the Tuesday after the first Monday in the month of November. Yeah, and obviously, you know, I'm a little biased because I worked on the 2016 campaign and my boss, Hillary Clinton, is a character in the show, right? So for me, it, it resonated in a very powerful way. But I think for anyone who, you know, cares about our democracy, 
uh, this show had a lot to say and in not in a sort of pat or cute way in, in a really smart way. Yeah. It's complicated. Um, it's, it's complicated. It's a complicated it's show. Complicated, yeah. And it, but it's also like, I think you could, you could also sit back and not pay attention and just look at the visuals and still have a wonderful experience. Don't do that because that's not <laughs> how you should do it. But it's, there's just so much happening. There's right. so many layers and right. levels to this piece. Yes. And it all comes together so beautifully Yes. Well, I think you know it's what what I love about it and why it is on my favorite list, and you know, and I, I don't think it's on many people's lists at the end of this year because it I, I don't think it engendered the kind of love that I was hoping it would. For me, it did, and part of you know part of the reason is that you know Jesse Green wrote in his review in the New York Times that it's the kind of show that you need to see more than once, and you know he might have been saying that as a bit of a knock on the show. I mean, I don't think so, but I think it could be perceived as a knock on the show. But whereas I see that as like the highest compliment yeah. you could ever give um, a, 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 a work of theater, because what it means is that there's a lot there, right? That it's not just surface level, that there's so much to explore. I saw it, I've seen it three times, and every time I saw it, both on the West Coast and twice at the public, um, I saw something, I learned something, I appreciated something new about it. Um, and that's not the case for every show. I mean, there's some shows by the end of the first time you're like okay i get it right. you know like by the end of act one you're like all right i see what this is i've seen all i need to see not the case with this and that's why you know among the many reasons why it's a favorite well we did a full episode about it Go as listen. you just referenced episode 50 and have a listen yes um, the, you're you're not going to find too many people smarter than david henry wong or lee silverman for no. that matter or two more engaging actors than francis Xu. And Elise Allen Lewis. Yeah. So have a mm. listen. Fabulous. Alrighty. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Moving on to number four um, is Slave Play, which we already sort of alluded to earlier in this episode. Um, And this was an honorable mention on my list last year because I had caught it right at the end of 2018 when it was off Broadway at the New York Theater Workshop. Um, And almost a full year, well, less than a full year, like 10 months later, um, it uh, transferred to Broadway thanks to uh, the intrepid vision of its producers um, where, I mean, I cannot recall in the last decade or kind of like ever in my adult life, a playwright who's made more of a splash in New York, who has gone from zero name recognition to being on everyone's lips in the course of a single season, not even a single year, but a single season, uh, than Jeremy O'Harris, the playwright of Slave Play. Um, in part because he's written, you know, a brilliant play, but also because he himself is just such an interesting uh, character, yeah. you know. And I, I don't mean that as a knock, like you know, as a character. I mean, he's he's, he's a smart guy and um, is so uh, engaging and interesting. And um, you know, he's he's certainly made the most of this moment with this play. He really has. He's he's great on social media. Oh he's great in an interview. Yeah. He. He's a snazzy dresser. Yes. He he really he's like the full package. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I'm like, you know, if if they still put playwrights on the cover of Time magazine, he'd be on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah. Right? They should. Is Time magazine even in print anymore? I don't think so. Who knows? I think it's I think Who it's knows? I think it's say? gone. Um but slave play. Um it's hard to talk about slave play without giving away slave play. Right. Right? You know, but I, I you know, thematically, I guess I can say. You know, it's just this like absolutely brilliant, trenchant satire of uh, with a white fragility, identity politics, uh, racism, psychotherapy. I mean, you name it, right? Everything under the sun. Um, you know, the play talks about race and gender and sex and history in a way that um, is so smart and so piercing. I hate using the word provocative. I know a lot of people have called this play provocative. And I think what's provocative is that people would call it provocative, right? Because the fact that we, you know, in America have this like dirty habit of not talking about 
our own history and our own sins and things like slavery, right, is, is what has uh, unfortunately gotten us to this moment in our history. Uh, and this play is a way, you know, I open my review by saying I, I often wonder what it would be like for Americans to actually grapple with our racial history, right? And this play sort of gives you an idea of what it would mean like for people to sit in a room together and actually address our racial history. Because we don't yeah. as a society. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and, and the fact of us doing it for that to be called provocative is like, to me, just ridiculous. You know, it's like, it should be what we do every day. It should be the lens through which we view everything. Yeah. And yet it's not. Yeah. Um, it's and that shattering is, is what this play is. It really is. I like that. It's a shattering play. Yes, I like that. Shattering. It's a perfect word. Um, so, and this is another one that runs through January. So, yeah, the 19th. Yes. So get, get tickets, tickets. Please. You get know, tickets. And, and, you know, even if it's not your cup of tea or it doesn't sound like it's your cup of tea, it's the kind of play that just feels like an important moment in theater history yeah. almost, right? It's also one of those plays. This was, I think I mentioned this last year. It was in particular at New York Theater Workshop when the, but it, it's, I've seen it on Broadway now, what, twice, and it ha it's happened each time. Yeah. When the, when the play ends, the audience doesn't know what to do. Right. They don't know if they should clap. They don't, it's, it's, it's also the, I mean, the ending is quite shattering. Yes. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because you don't, quite know what you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to think. Mm. And I don't think even leaving the theater, you can formulate all of that. It really stays with you yes. for quite a while. It's, it's the kind of play that forces a conversation. Absolutely. You know, you walk out of the theater and you, you have to vocalize something. You don't even know what. You can't formulate the thoughts, but you know you have to say something, right? Um, and, you know, that's what's, what's a better compliment than that, right? I mean, Nothing. that's, that's well, why we do theater. That's why we love theater. Isn't that, uh, and not every show should do that, but most of them should. <laughs> well, here's, here's one that certainly does. Uh, number three on my list is Follies. Oh, it's going to be a lovely party. I'm so glad I came. <laughs> Now, you might be saying, huh, I didn't see Follies in New York this year. That's right, because I didn't. Uh, I saw it in London. And this is a bit of a cheat because uh, this is a production. Technically. Yeah, this is a production from 2017 that was done at the National Theater uh, by director Dominic Cook. Uh, but it came back in revival uh, at the National Theater again in London um, this because it was one of their most successful shows of all time, right? Yes, yes, it sold out in like a minute. And I think this revival sold out in a minute. Um, and I think if they did it again, it would. I like every night I say a prayer that it'll come to Broadway because this production to me of Follies, the Stephen Sondheim musical from 1971, um, is I think as close, you know, in scale and vision. Uh, to the iconic original, you know, Hal Prince, Michael Bennett production, as we're likely to ever see. You know, at the Olivier Theater is huge. If you've never been, it's this huge auditorium that does not have a proscenium. It's it's most similar to the Vivian Beaumont. Correct. If you can, if you've been to that theater at Lincoln Center, has the thrust stage. You know, sort of almost like a two seventy degree seating plan, um, and it's just vast and immense. And so is this show, right? So having it sit in a theater like that, where there's no line between the audience and the stage. Um, and you can play it on the scale that it deserves to be played on with a cast of 40 and an orchestra of 20 and, you know, really um, produce the imagery that the show operates in, right? I mean, it's it's one of the few musicals. I can't think of another one right now. Well, I guess Cabaret is another musical and another Hal Prince musical. I mean, that makes sense, uh, where the imagery is almost as essential as the text. And when you can get both right, there's nothing better. I agree with that. This also, this production never stopped moving. No. You know, there was a circular element to it, mm -hmm. right? There was sort of a turntable thing. And yes. so the, the, no matter what was happening on stage, there were five or six other things happening. Mm. It was, except for a few moments where the action had to stop. Right, of course. Right, to focus on a song yeah. or whatnot. But yeah. pretty much it was fluid throughout. And it was yeah. so, so beautiful. And, and again, I agree with you. I don't, think you'll get closer to the original production than this production. No, and 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 and, and I and I mean it in terms of scale and vision because it's a different production, right? They're not yeah. trying to recreate 
the Hal Prince Michael Bennett production, right? But it it has that essence to right. it, that sense of occasion, that sense of scale, that sense of storytelling, um, that make it one of you know the greatest musicals ever written, right? And it's like a show that is considered both brilliant and is always a flop, right? You know, like which is why it was so exciting to see it be such a sensation. Because uh, it's never really been successfully, commercially successful, I guess I should say. No, but, not ever. You know, who wants to see commercially successful theater? Boring. I don't. Boring. Um, and I will just say before we move on, it can, this production contained one of my favorite moments ever in a lifetime of theater going. And that, again, this is like why it, you know, is oh, on this list, right? I think this is new information for no, me. No, as soon as I say it, you're going to know exactly what I mean. Um, if you know the show, there's a song, um, Who's That Woman? It's the mirror song. Mirror, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Where the, the, the older Follies girls at this reunion start to recreate this dance number that they used to do. And at a certain point in the number, they're replaced by their younger selves. And... There's a flourish in the music. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And the way it was staged in this production, it was musical theater ecstasy of the highest scale. It was like, it was so cinematic. It was so uh, uh, just totally transporting. It was like watching a dream. It was like being in a dream. And that's what I mean when I say about the, the imagery of the show is so essential to getting it right. And boy, did they nail it. It was also filmed for yes. National Theater Live. Yes, so Live. Love it, I have yet to see it have a repeat performance. It's not on their website currently, but that always makes me think, hmm, maybe they're maybe they're holding off so they can they can do another production oh, of it. God. But it, it it was filmed and so it does live on and yeah, I that's a good tip if you can find it. Yeah, I would yeah. assume they'll release it at some point. some point. On their website they have a lot of old stuff. It just hasn't it hasn't it hasn't come up yet. Yeah, yeah. That's but a great I think it, I, I think that. it will. Yeah. Maybe they're planning on another revival. You never oh, know. Please, I would I would buy a phone ticket in a heartbeat. Yeah. See that's, that's how good it was. Lord, Lord, that woman is me. I have one favorite thing I do have to say about this. Yes, follow me. Yeah. Whether we use this or not. Um, one of the times I saw it, I sat on the extreme side. And there's a moment where Tracy Bennett is down. She's former guest of the show. Former guest of the show. She's doing some business. She's not, it's not, it's not, it's again, part of this thing where it's just always moving and things are happening. She's doing some business right in front of where I'm sitting and she lights up a cigarette mm. and I smell it and I go, motherfucker, that's a real cigarette. <laughs> that smells like a real cigarette. So I asked her, I just went back and saw her afterwards and I said, Trace, are you, are you really smoking? She said, of course, darling. And I thought, only in London <laughs> right. could you smoke a real cigarette on the stage. You right. could never do that in New York. It's all these herbal cigarettes and yeah. and oh, or yeah. now they have these the fake electronics that oh, you know really? that that yeah. have you seen these electronic cigarettes? So, yeah. so that the or if I did it was so good I didn't notice. They it. they well yeah. they light up and they puff smoke and they oh, the okay. thing is they don't get any smaller, right? So if somebody's oh. <laughs> smoking a cigarette for several minutes, yeah. it stays the same length. And I've seen productions where um, someone tries to put the cigarette out oh, no. and it's like, well, it's not crushing. Yeah. So <laughs> I th it needs to be perfected. But God love Tracy Bennett for actually smoking a real yeah. cigarette on stage. Yeah. Only in Britain could yeah. you get away with that. Love that. It's an old sound. It's an old sound. It's an old tale from way back when. It's an old sound. It's an old sound. And we're gonna sing it again. Number two, we're almost done. Number oh. two. Okay, number two is Hades Town. Oh. I know. I can't believe it's number two, but then I know it's number one. Exactly. So, so yeah, I you've can. got a little a little advance notice. Um okay, so Hades Town. It won all the awards. It won all the awards. For good reason. I mean, it's just one of the most exquisitely crafted musicals I've ever seen. You know, it's funny. I was just talking about how I can't think of another musical where the imagery as, is as essential to the success of the show as, as it is with Follies. Hadestown, duh. I mean, Rachel Chavkin, director, 
um, has taken Anais Mitchell's, you know, incredible score and, and words and put them on stage um, in, again, just like the most exquisitely crafted way that I could, I could imagine. Right. It, it's, I called it the most tautly constructed and beautifully realized musical on this side of Hamilton. And I stand by that. It's bold I claim. I think you should. But it's bold, I'm here, but it's, I'm here for bold claims. I think it's accurate. Um, yeah. I mean, it is just this like riveting, heart-wrenching, sumptuous folk, folk opera, right? That vibrantly renders some of the oldest and most well-known and enduring myths of like humankind. Um, and, yet, and yet it's this like epic modern musical theater piece. We had Andre DeShields on the show back uh, in... Uh, December? No, was it was like April. Was it April? April <laughs> or May. It was right before the Tony Awards. <laughs> time is a construct, time is a, Time is a flat circle. Um, and, um, you know, he is one of the most incredible performers, like, ever in the history of Broadway, right? Um, this cast... Every single person on that stage yes. is giving a performance of their career. You know, it feels like the kind of show where for like decades to come, people are going to brag, oh, I saw the original cast of Hadestown. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like, I saw the original cast of A Chorus Line. Right? Or, you know, like Spring Awakening. Right? Look at that cast. Every single person in that cast has gone on to do something incredible. Right? And the people in this cast have already gone on, have already done incredible things. I can't wait to see what they will all do in the future. Um, I cannot imagine the show without Amber Gray. Yes. I cannot imagine the show without Patrick Page. Mm. I cannot imagine the show without Andre DeShields. Right. I, 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 that, I don't even, I can't, I can't, don't even I mean, say yeah. that. <laughs> like, that's she just, can't leave the show. She's Amber, not allowed. Yeah. And that goes for and Reeve, Eva, Reeve and Eva Noblezada and, and even the, the fates. The fates. Like every the ensemble. Single, I mean, the ensemble. It's just Timothy perfection. Hughes. Well, you love Timothy Hughes. Yes. Well, well, America loves, loves Timothy yes. Hughes. Well, he's he's like the other story of 2019. 12 feet tall and about. gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a, that's a good story. Tell the story. You, What's the story? Well, oh, is that, was that 2018 where he ripped up the Trump flag? Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he was the original cast of Frozen. Yeah. Was, he, that, was that this year? Or was it, No, that was in 2018, I think. Yeah. Someone at the curtain call was like doing a little protest in the orchestra and took out a Make America Great Again banner and he grabbed it and grabbed it from the off of the stage so he's a national hero national hero yeah there should be a, a bank holiday for his birthday i agree with that yeah. should um, it be today well well we need to find out when that is anyway hadestown just incredible loved it uh number two of the year drum roll please Dun, da, da, da. That wasn't a drum roll, was well, it? It was like a little horn flourish. It was like a, yeah, a uh, little trumpeting. A fanfare. Um, <laughs> fanfare of sorts. Number one, A Strange Loop. I thought you were going to let me say it. I got oh, no. excited oh, for no. a second. Should we do a take two? No, 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 no. This is, <laughs> honey, this is your show. Yeah, you, well, you it's, go it's with our it. show. It's our show. Um, no, this one's really you. So <laughs> if you listened to um, our interview with Michael R. Jackson. Which was uh, last week. Which was last week. So uh, if you're up on your fabulous invalid, you'll know um, that Jamie and I are huge fans of A Strange Loop, the musical. Um, Michael R. Jackson was a composer, lyricist, and playwright. He wrote the entire thing himself. Um, and it's this extraordinary musical that was at Playwrights Horizons last summer off Broadway. Um, it's a self-referential musical uh, by and about a black queer man writing a musical about a black queer man who's writing a musical about a black queer man who's writing a musical about a black queer I could go on all day, right? Um, we get it. And, you know, talk, talk about shattering, right? This is a musical that shatters expectations and challenges societal limitations around what a black queer man's story can, can be and should be about. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like soft power, you know, it's, it's, it's the product of someone who clearly loves musicals, admires the form, and is at the same time challenging that mm -hmm. form to do something that it's never done before. I mean, we talked about in our interview with Michael R. Jackson that there are very clear, um, you know, references. There, there, there are shows that have existed before that sort of um, have used some of the same conventions, and yet 
there's never been a show like Strange Loop that has put them all together right. the way that um And as beautifully yes. as he has. Yes. I, I just have to stop you right here because I think it's a... A, an understatement of global proportions mm. to say that we like the show. Did I say like? Did you say like? Oh no! Did you say like or love? love I think adore. you said we're fans of the we're show. Fans of yeah. yeah. I think that fan is too weak a word. I think it's too weak a word. I think yeah. they're all. I don't know what the right words. It hasn't are. been invented yet. It, because and I know I can. I know you're. I know we're in agreement. Violent agreement. That's Violent agreement. Yes. When I say this, that this show really touched us and spoke to us yeah. on so many different levels. It really yeah. got inside of us. Mm -hmm. I, I'll never forget, we were we were together um, when the cast album yes. came out, yes. and we listened to it, I, I think, twice fully through. Mm -hmm. um, we were driving somewhere. But the look on the the like the look of just sheer joy on your face yeah. as as we were listening to it, I think I even like did a video of it <laughs> because it was just so, it was just so wonderful. So pure, yeah. But I didn't say pure. <laughs> but wow. what I mean by saying this is that there are moments when you experience a theatrical piece that change your life mm -hmm. and that will stick with you forever. And this is one of those pieces yeah. that just is. I think life altering mm -hmm. and and beautiful and perfect and also complicated and simple all at the same time. Yeah. And that's hard to do. Yeah. And it came out of nowhere and it's been being developed forever. 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 <laughs> yeah. Which we talk about on our show. So you can listen to last week's episode and, yeah. and hear yeah. the full story. Yeah. No, but I mean you've you've just touched on two things that I think are really important to the the estranged loop story. Um Number one is that the show itself just demonstrates the power of what theater and what musical theater in particular, um, you know, can be and do, right? Michael R. Jackson has, and you know, thank God, uh, an impatience with how um, unadventurous people are with yeah. this art form, right? And, and has taken that impatience and channeled it into creating something that is so new and so fresh. Um, and those, even those words feel just so trite in describing the show. Right? <laughs> they do. They're, they're, just, they're so weak. And it's just like yeah. there aren't words, right? You have to see it to believe it. And th the second point that you just touched on is this cast album. Oh, um, you know, it's perfection. It, 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 it 100% encaptures what the show is. And that's hard to do. Um, and not every cast recording does, especially for, you know, a quote-unquote small off-Broadway show, right? The, the fact that it even has a cast recording is a testament to the producers, uh, you know, Page 73 and, and Playwrights Horizons who budgeted that money because it's not cheap um, and had the <laughs> no. foresight to know that if they wanted the show to um, make the mark that it can and should, it needed to have a cast recording. And so while unfortunately it closed in, you know, July, um, you can listen to that cast recording now. Um, and really feel like you've experienced the yes, show. Yes, and get a as really good sense of the show. Because um, yeah. it, it captures the performances that were just ravishing. I want to break the cycle that's so ingrained in me. But change comes way too slow and I am in a hurry. There's all of this rejection which brings such misery. But with my white girl music, I drown out the flurry of today. I'm barely scraping by My discontentment comes in many shapes and sizes When I wake up each morning I tell myself to try I tell myself that I will make no compromises So days like this just get me I hate days like today Days when I face myself But see the same reflection Someone who's stuck rewriting And stuck in his own way Someone who has to edit every imperfection today. Today I plan to change myself. Oh, girl, whatever. I can't help hope that this cast album is the thing that leads to the next production. Yeah. That the, just the existence of this yeah. is the thing that either brings it to Broadway or brings it back off Broadway right. or right. whatever right. its journey is. Right. Well, what's so amazing about the show is that you can easily imagine any sort of gatekeeper saying it's too black or it's yeah. too queer or it's too this, it's too that, it's too weird, it's too small, whatever. Pick which, your two. Which are all things he discusses right. in the show. 
Right. But which are also what make it what it is yeah. and why it is so good. Right. Like if he had put up any sort of shield and edited himself to create what he thought people wanted to see, it wouldn't be what it is and it wouldn't have made the impact that it did. Um, so I'm, I, you know, number one of the year, uh, absolutely adore the show and I'm so grateful to everyone involved in the show for making it happen. Um, and we'll live the rest of my life just in love with the experience of seeing it and that cast recording. Well, that's quite a list. Quite a list. Quite a what list. a year for theater. And as always, I do some honorable mentions on my list because again, I make the rules. So <laughs> 10 is too constricting. Even when I fudge the rules to do a, a, a tie and make it 11. Um, What's interesting about this year as compared to last year is, you know, last year I only had two Broadway shows on my list and I had like everything at the Park Avenue Armory. Um, this year I actually had a fair amount of Broadway shows and a fair amount of musicals as yeah, well, um, which is exciting. It's a whole um, new you. It's a whole, it's a whole new me. Um, but a lot of singing today. A lot of you. singing. We're You're just, a this is becoming a musical podcast. Um, no. Becoming? Uh, <laughs> uh, has always been, secretly been. Um, no. So... There's a lot of Broadway shows in my honorable mentions, too. I'll run through the room. I don't know what it says about Broadway this season. Um, Ain't Too Proud. It says it's been a good season. Yeah. Ain't Too Proud, which was uh, just fabulous. Fabulous. Go see it. Uh, Go still see running. it. If you can get a ticket, I mean, it's like sold out. It's yeah, a it's runaway like, success. It's, it's huge. Um, and we amazing. spoke to Des McEnough and Tom Hulse, the producer yeah. of the show. Um, <laughs> we did speak yeah, to both of we, them. We did some Ain't Too Proud love this, this season. Well, deserving... Yes, well-deserving, well-deserving. Well um, All My Sons, the Arthur Miller oh, yeah. play, was it Roundabout? Absolutely terrific. Um, Beetlejuice, which is like the success story of this of the year. Uh, but it's the success story of the decade because it was <laughs> struggling at the box office yeah. and, and, and not doing great, and suddenly they're wrapping over a million a week. Yes, I mean, it, it is, it is the, the major exception to the rule, right, of, of a show that has done better successively each week of its run. Yeah. That's not how Broadway works. Ever. Right? Ever. If you're a hit, you're usually you're a hit right away, and then you peter out over time, whether it's five years, a month, whatever, right? This show was not a hit critically, right? I mean, it was it was kind of dismissed. I said this, you know, at the time. It was kind of dismissed by by critics at the time that it opened. And, you know, you can debate whether or not it's a great show. That's fair, you know. But you can't deny the fact that it has caught on and become, you know, a phenomenon on, on, of its own, which is pretty exciting to see happen. Um, Bella Bella. Oh, Harvey Firestein. Harvey Firestein's one-man show about Bella Abzug uh, that was at Manhattan Theater Club. A love letter to... Uh, incredible Unsung woman yeah. that yes that yeah. nobody knows the story to anymore right. nobody nobody really knows who bella abzuk and if you don't google google find out find out how she's changed the world you currently live yes. in and doesn't get the credit oh my for gosh. it and and i have to say to see harvey firestein on stage anytime is a treat but True. to see him in a one person show right which is sort of how he made his name yeah. 30 40 years ago right as a solo performer oh my god he still has it. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> he never lost it, but he still has it. Um, A Christmas Carol, which is the old Vicks production um, that I saw in London last year, absolutely loved, and it's now on Broadway. Absolutely terrific. Cornucopia, which was um, Bjork's uh, theatrical concert uh, at The Shed, which is that new performance venue that we had talked to David Rockwell about when we had him on the show last season. Um, again, it was like unlike, you know, sort of like, like American Utopia. It's just sort of this like hybrid concert theatrical event that kind of defies categorization loved it uh darren brown's secret uh love a magic show love a magic show and this Robin is like is magic magic of the highest degree it's it's um it's really like illusion it's like subconscious manipulation he like hypnotizes the audience i was somewhat hypnotized during it. i don't want to give anything away but like you got to go see darren brown uh secret loved it I sort of feel like you're easy to hypnotize. I okay. feel like you know some people are subs yeah. susceptible to that yeah. sort of thing. No, I think that's true. I, I feel like you're you're an easy mark. Yeah, I also I just love magic of any form, from like yeah. the cheapest, you know, woman in a box with swords trick to like yeah. you know, the most high scale Darren Brown level. It's nothing to be ashamed stuff. of. Rob. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Right. I just want to um, make sure. Do you feel anger, which was a play that was at the yeah. Vineyard that I love? Yeah, you did love that. play. Oh my god! And it, again, that was one that was one that kind of overlooked. Yep. Um, Heroes of the Fourth Turning, a playwrights, which was widely celebrated. Really terrific play. Um, Into the Woods, which uh, we saw at Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival over the summer. Um, that was magic. Yeah, I mean, you know, we saw like five Into the Woods this year, but this was the one that really stuck with me. Well, this was, yes, and in, in, in for me, it was two things. It was one, the terrific 
creative, inventive yes. production. Yes. But it was also the discovery of the Hudson Valley Shakespeare yeah, Festival, which special. is truly a gem. Yeah. And, and Put it on so your calendar for next summer. Both of those yeah. things combined really made for a magical uh Two nights in the theater. Totally. Um, there was a really terrific production of Julius Caesar at Theater for a New Audience in Brooklyn that um, I adored. Um, Little Shop of Horrors, which is currently off Broadway. And just extended yes. with Gideon Glick, who will come back in January and yes. run it for a little while. So it opened with uh, Jonathan Groff, who we saw, and then Gideon stepped in for a week while Jonathan Groff did uh, press for Frozen 2. Um, and then um, Jonathan Groff came back and is currently in it. And now Gideon's going to take it through, I think March is what they've announced, and hopefully it runs longer. I have a feeling it's going to run a while. I think they've got gold with this, this production. This is the little shop yeah. that you have always the, wanted to see. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This it's, is it totally captures the essence of what the show is, and it's a top-notch production. They didn't spare any cost. No, not at all. And and when we can, I think we're going to probably talk about this yeah, in the new year. Show. Yeah. Um, but I will say there's, you know, it, 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 there's there's lots of possibilities with this show in terms of casting and, and people that can come in and do various roles. Yes. It could run a very long time. It could run forever. Yeah. The original For, production ran like eight years. It certainly off Broadway. did. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a sensation. It's I feel like this is as close yeah. to that production as we're ever going to get. Totally. Ooh, I love and, that. and it's its own thing and it's its own yes. beautiful, right. wonderful. It's not trying to be a recreation. Of not at all. Right. It lives right. in its own beautiful world. Totally. Um, the Michaels, the Richard Nelson play that was at the public theater. Oh, um, I smell baked has, bread right now. Yeah, seriously. Um, one of the most intimate and beautiful things I've ever seen. I mean, it was absolutely terrific. I have to thank you for that because I wasn't going to go see that yeah, and you I, I were the one you. that yeah. nudged me into yeah. going and that 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 might have... Yeah. Nobody wants my top 10 list, but that might actually have made the list if yeah. I were writing it. Totally. Um, much Ado About Nothing, Shakespeare in the Park. Oh, yeah. Danielle Brooks. That's oh, all yeah. I have to say. Kenny Leon directed. Oh, my God. It was one of the best Shakespeare in the Parks ever. And that was also filmed. So you can that see filmed. that. Yes, you can that see that as well. PBS. It was on PBS two weeks yeah, ago. Really terrific. Um, Teresa Rebeck seared at MCC uh, Theater. Warranted an entire show. Yes, go listen ours. to it. Really terrific. Um, the Sound Inside, oh, which yeah. you know was a really close runner-up to be in my top ten. Yeah. Mary Louise Parker and Adam Rapp's play. Um, I, you know, absolutely brilliant. David Cromer directed. I I've believe, been threatening this for days. I, I think I'm going to go back. You should go back. Yeah. Everyone should see The Sound Inside. Yeah. It's one of the best plays. I've seen in my life. Um, and then The Wrong Man yeah. at MCC Theater. Again, this is three, four MCC Theater shows yeah. on this list this year. And, uh, MCC is yeah. continually doing They're some of the best, right now. Yeah. best, best stuff. In, and I will say, yeah. Joshua Henry singing Stay Positive from The Wrong Man yes. will remain a theatrical highlight yeah. of my life. 100%. That, that is... One of the most thrilling performances yep. of I've ever seen. Oh yeah, that man is. I mean, I'll see him in anything. I'll I'll watch him read the phone book. I, but like, but that was that defining. Was, yeah, uh, was absolutely stunning. Great. There it is. All right. Wow. Well, that's 2019. We did it. The year is over. The year is over. I can't believe it. I know. Wild. It's been a good year. It's been a good year. Yeah, yeah. it's been a very good year. Um, and much to look forward to in 2020. I can't wait. A new decade. A new decade. Wow. A new world. Well, I think that's it for us for today. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We've um, got another we got another couple of episodes before the year is out. That's right. And then we're going to take a little break you know, for Christmas. Top 10s are coming out earlier and earlier every year. Well, that's why we moved ours. Our, yeah, our ours top 10 last like, was on like New the Year's. The 26th. It was on Boxing Day, right? Was it on Boxing Day? I thought it was on New Year's Day. but uh, Well, it was towards the end of the year. Whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're right. The true end of the year. You're smarter about these things. But yeah. um, Well, that's it. I that's don't, it. I don't have anything else to say. Alrighty. Well, here's to great theater. Okay. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc., The Fabulous Invalid LLC, and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman and Charles Van Kirk. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday.
it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.